Good morning, good day, and good evening, everyone. This is The Daily Marketer, your weekly dose of growth marketing knowledge for the busy founder or startup marketer. Season two, we're doing something a little different. We're bringing on people who are founders of companies or leading the charge in marketing at companies, and we're hearing their growth journey. We're also bringing on people who are subject matter experts in a subsect of marketing. Think social media marketing, branding, affiliate search engine optimization, and we're furrowing into their brain, maybe like a animal during hibernation, and then we're sussing out that knowledge for you so you can leverage that in the decisions and problems you're solving at your startup. Our guest for today is Josh Dirks. Who is Josh Dirks? Josh is the fucking man. He is a serial entrepreneur with a track record of success in digital marketing and sales. After becoming the highest grossing sales rep for Door to Door in 2007, he went to Entercom, a national digital and radio broadcasting enterprise, where he introduced the concept of narrow casting and sliver casting to them to better target and reach listeners. He also encouraged this multimedia company to incorporate the new field of social media marketing, but he met some serious doubt. Soon after, he left and he started Project Bionic in 2009, one of the first social media marketing agencies up here in the Northwest, where he created the PB way, which is not the peanut butter way, but actually a scientific approach to social media marketing that makes creativity with business intelligence to drive real tangible growth for any business who wants to cultivate fanatic fans and customers. Hell, I'm sold. 11 years later, Project Bionic is going strong with 38 clients, 40 employees, and some really major clients like Nalgene, Amazon, Taco Time, and local Northwest favorite, Azel's Chicken. This conversation was incredible, and it's really worthwhile for anyone who wants to consider or has even doubted the power of social media marketing in driving growth for a startup. As Josh puts it, companies often think, They can hire an intern or a 22-year-old to do some Instagram posts, and therefore they're doing social media marketing. Voila, it's not like that. I actually think whether you're an e-commerce startup, a local restaurant, a fitness influencer, or a mammoth brand, Josh breaks it all down for you. He also, uh, he brings a lot of wisdom, stories, and knowledge. He reminds me a little bit of Seth Godin in that way, where you could feel you could listen to the guy talk for forever. So please enjoy. If you do like this episode, I encourage you to subscribe, leave a comment, or a review. It helps us tremendously in our growth. If you end up subscribing, which I thank you for, we will put your name into a raffle for a $50 Amazon gift card. What? That's right. And we'll announce every other week the winner of this. So if you like the show, please subscribe. All right. Please enjoy this conversation with Josh Dirks. Hey, Josh. Thanks for coming on the show. Jacob, man, thanks so much for having me on. I know we've been struggling to get this done for the last month or so, so I really appreciate your patience with my crazy schedule, and I appreciate you having me on. I'm really excited to talk to you today. 
Man, it's been it's worth the patience, and uh, yeah, it's it's a pleasure. There's, I'm really excited to to chat with you. So, we like to start the show off with something I call rapid growth questions, like rapid fire questions. So, if you're ready, I like it. All right, all right, let's do it. Greatest marketer ever, uh, Steve Jobs. Okay, marketing newsletter you read a lot. I read the IAB or the Quartz Marketing Newsletter almost every day. What's that second one? The Quartz, Quartz News. Has How do you spell interactive that? Q-U-A-R-T-Z. Oh, Quartz. Yeah. Quartz Newsletter. All right. Marketing That's influence. That's where I do have an accent. Quartz. There, it's coming out. Uh, marketing influencer, thought leader, you follow often. Um, I love John Loomer when it comes to Facebook and where it's, what's going on there. I think that as far as a measurement expertise, he's he's one of my favorite guys. He's got no ego in what he does. I really appreciate the spirit in which he does things. I'm a huge Eric Qualman fan, been an Eric Qualman fan since his book, Socialnomics. So I hmm. love his stuff and graciously read his stuff on a regular basis. Um, those two guys are probably my favorite two guys in, in the space right now. How do you spell Eric's last name? Qualman, Q-U-A-L. There might be a second L, then M-A-N. Okay. Got it. Best marketing book. The K, I believe. K. Okay. Got it. Best marketing book of all time. Uh, Eric Qualman's Socialnomics. There we go. All right. How about an indirect book where you learned about marketing? I mean, the book that changed and got me into the space was called PBC Marketing, Get Your Business Found Online. It was one of the most early books about search marketing that was out there. Um, I think it's in like its 22nd or 23rd edition, but it was a book that I was handed back in 2002 and told to figure something out. Um, it's a pretty wild book that I, you know, have referenced many, many times when I've talked about things. Who's that by? I was think it was by a group. I don't even know who hmm. wrote it anymore. It was it's been years since I've read it, but I, I remember. Let me see. But yeah, it was a it was a really good book that one of my CEOs handed to me uh, way back in the day. What does PBC stand for? Pay-per-click, pay-per-click marketing. Paper, oh, PPC. Got it, got it, got it. Great. All right. I, I'm, uh, we'll include those in the, sh- in the show notes. No need to. You don't have to find the, the author of it. And then uh, best TED Talk. Um, whew, man, I, you know, uh, the whole part about why and, and, and bringing that forward, I think, is a, has a been a great message that I think is important. I'm trying to think of who the, That's Simon Sinek. that whole thing. Yeah, Simon Sinek's yeah. why I think is a, is a big one. Yeah. Um, and just how we're messaging and how we're thinking about our messaging. You know, that was one of my biggest things about, you know, why I started Project Biotic was around that idea of how we can narrow cast or sliver cast. And that why was such an important component of how we think about content. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's a corresponding book to that too, right? What marketing advice do you give that few follow? <laughs> Start small and build. Start small and get results and go from there. I, I think that whether it's your life, it's building new habits, it's going through and thinking about nutrition or it's thinking about your marketing plan. If you start small, start to see results and then go ahead and amplify those. It's amazing how that works. But so many people try to come out with this big splashy thing. And at the end of the day, they just get, you just get run over at the end of the day. How did you start small? I mean, I started with five really small clients. Well, not small clients, but five clients here and really perfected our process. You know, that was the thing I think that you always talk about the, the people, the product, and the profits are kind of in that methodology. And what was interesting with our start was more about the fact that it was a pretty small team of people that came together to start the organization. And we were working through the product because there was no rules. I mean, social media was not even a buzzword when we started in 2009. 
most people thought I was flipping crazy. Um, so starting really small with just five clients and figuring out the process. And then after the first year or so, really starting to go ahead and be able to speak to that process so that people could understand what we could do. And then building the agency from there, we didn't go out and raise millions of dollars and go out and do that whole thing. We started with, you know, bootstrapped uh, Google investment and we went from from there. So we really built kind of brick by brick what Project Blanca's company come today. Yeah, something I did notice in, in my research is that you have a track record of simplifying something that could be complex or off-putting and making it consumable and then turning it into something that a potential paying customer can understand. Do, do you agree? I, I, yeah, I think that that's the number one thing about sales and people buying things is people don't buy stuff they don't understand. And we in marketing are so bad at creating acronyms and jargon for jargon's sakes. So we all look like cool kids, like we're engineers. And we're not. We're simply going ahead and reading messages and people and customers. <laughs> and the fact that we overcomplicate everything is, is really frustrating to me. And I think does our, our industry a large disservice at the end of the day. And so... You know, when I talk to people, I always talk about the fact that I speak geek, but I also speak plain English. So if I start using jargon or vernacular, just stop me because I want you to be able to follow along. And my biggest thing is for people to be able to take away actionable, meaningful stuff that they can apply to their own business or their own careers. Um, and that can't be done by confusing people with, with jargon. Jargon is, is there to go ahead and keep people out. And unifying people around knowledge is such an important key to helping accelerate the growth of a, an industry like social media and the impact it could have on businesses. Yeah, and acronyms, for example, I, I think they're just, they can be uh, lazy shorthand and for communication. Yeah, I mean, PV has one. Our, one of our starting ethos is ACT. It stands for Assess, Create, and Transform. Um, but we actually did that very intentionally because of the fact that back then the mavens, witches, ninjas of the world were dropping these huge social media strategy guides on CMO's desk and telling them, good luck. And we wanted to be an agency that cut through that could not only help you build your strategy, but we could also then go ahead and put it into action for you as well so you can begin to see the benefits. And we've had a lot of clients that were longtime partners with us that saw so much benefit that eventually they said to us, hey, we want to go ahead and pull this in-house, which I always believe is the best solution for social, but it takes a larger investment than just one person or the 22-year-old at the front desk with the iPhone. That's yeah. not the person you want doing your social media. It needs to be thoughtful and usually needs to be a team of four to six people, depending on the size of the brand that's doing it. Because social media is really right brain, left brain in a lot of ways, in a lot of aspects. And so making sure that you have that combination of ideas and thoughts and leadership is such an important component in, in having a successful plan, game plan. So that was really what we started off with was that ability to stand out from the crowd that was just selling $250,000 strategies. That would have been nice, but at the end of the day, it wasn't getting benefit. And having been in the SEO space back in the zeros, I watched a lot of people talk themselves around the chicken coop when it came to their clients. So a lot of people didn't understand SEO and SEO got a really bad rap for a few years of being snake oil. Mm -hmm. And I still talk to people that have had super bad experience with SEO companies. And I think the SEO is not that complex really at the end of the day. Yes, it is, it is complicated, but it doesn't need to be as complex as many of the experts make it out to be. And it's really based around really badass content. So that's what yep. social is about. And that's really what SEO is about. <laughs> hey, unless, unless you have a really bad website engineer, which is a whole nother story altogether. <laughs> because they're not thinking about that. They're not thinking about the, the foundational principles of SEO. Yeah, I think that, you know, when I started, uh, when Roy and I started pinpoint marketing back in 2005 together, it was interesting because it was like the Jets and the Sharks when it came to your web developer and your SEO people, right? 
they're two warring factions and mm. the web designers would be like i make it all beautiful and the seo guys make it all ugly right and that was yeah. something that they went round and around and around and around all the time right and so we were fortunate enough to have a really awesome designer, Misha, who got it and understood it. And we had Sean who understood SEO theory and we were able to come together in a way to build a really nice product that, that did get benefit and did get it out there. Um, but that's, you know, that's what it was all about back then. And it's still all about that today. Totally. And last rapid fire question, uh, rapid growth question. Design me the perfect sandwich. So I'm talking about ingredients, bread, layout, sauces. You know, oh, is there something that complements it in terms of uh, chips or, you know, maybe it's a salad, macaroni salad, and even a drink? Man, you are, you're speaking my language now. I started my <laughs> career in the, the sandwich business. So um, I would say that it needs to be a really solid hoagie. I don't, you know, East okay. Coast hoagies are awesome, but you can, you can find, but you got to have that hoagie, right? Again, Sesame on the hoagie? One, it can be. Um, I don't, I'm not a sesame guy myself, okay. no um, sesame. you know, just a, just a plain sesame, right? Um, I like to go ahead and lay layer a thing of avocado at the bottom, you know, okay. a little avocado spread at the bottom. Yeah. Add, uh, I like ham and turkey a lot myself. So ham and turkey on there. I like Swiss cheese a lot or pepper jack. So depending Ooh. on if you like a little spice or not, depending on how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, a layer of tomatoes, a layer of cucumbers, a layer of like uh, green leaf lettuce. Mm-hmm. And then I like to add oil and balsamic vinegar, not regular vinegar. Balsamic vinegar has an amazing kick to it with some salt and pepper on there. And uh, then you just, you know, maybe some some white onion. And uh, you put the top on that bad boy with some mayonnaise and mustard on the top the top of the bun, right? And put that together. Slice that in half. I'm a big pickle guy. I'm a connoisseur of pickles and pretzels. So Ooh. I'd say a really awesome pickle with some sourdough pretzels next to it. Um, and give me uh, a lemonade or a ginger beer and, mm. or a sweet tea, and we are we're, we're we're in business. Heck yeah! You make I want to walk over to Subway and yell at them for not having hoagies <laughs> and and uh, not quality pickles. You know, it's yeah, it's that's uh, it's too bad. Too many people don't 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 invest as much in their sandwiches as they should. You know, it's 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 a my kids are big sandwich people now too because we. We made a lot. We've really perfected the sandwich during the COVID crisis. Oh yeah, I, I you know, I, I go back to peanut butter and jelly every three months. I, it's like just like the great snack to go to, right? Man, if you if you love peanut butter and jelly, I don't know if you've been to Costco recently, but they have this mixed nut butter that has like nine types of different nuts in the. Oh, butter. I just got it. And yeah, I just that is, oh, it's called like nutty or something. Nutter. You, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's that will get you excited about peanut butter and jelly all over again. Oh man, yeah, I like it when the, the the butter or the nut butter doesn't stick to the roof of your mouth. I think you you know it's a good butter. But I also think that's a, that's the bread. So remember that whenever you're buying bread, the yeah. weight of the the weight of the bread means that it's a higher quality. So you know you can even have white bread, but if it's heavy, like you pick up some white loaf bread and it's super light, pick up the other bread and it's heavier, right? Then that's yeah. the quality bread you want. The heavier the bread, the, the better it's going to be, and the less it's going to stick to your mouth. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to follow that. I usually try to get that organic bread and it, it usually has the weight. They avoid the air fluff. All right. That was fun. So I, let's, we'll, we'll get a little more into it. So you, you have a track record of being, I, I, I found this word over and over again, you know, ahead of the curve, forward thinking, sees far into the future, boundary, boundary breaking algorithms, understands where trends are going, knows where the puck is going to use the, the, the Wayne Gretzky quote. So how is this? And uh, is, is this a deliberate 
thing that that you do how how do you how do you live in the future it seems like you know jacob it's it's really interesting because i feel like i've been really fortunate so when i first got into internet marketing in 2002 2003 when i was with door to door moving in storage and looking at their marketing programs that was really, for me, I think the infancy of what we call digital marketing 2.0. Yes, back there was message boards and display banners and some of that kind of stuff, but even the trackability and that stuff wasn't there. And so I came into the industry at a really interesting time where we could see where it was starting to head. And you kind of, as you started to look forward, it became pretty easy if you were in the cockpit every day using the tools to begin to understand like, oh yeah, this, this conversion data is going to be really important to us. And, oh, pixels are going to help us as well. And now we can retarget. And retargeting is going to be very beneficial. And, oh, geotar- and so you could begin to see where the industry was going. And I, I like to bring just a lot of common sense to things when I talk about it. I say that everybody at Project Bionic has a PhD in common sense. And, but if you think about where people are at and where consumers are at, and you listen to the consumer and you listen to where businesses need, there's really kind of a very defined canyon of what the future can look like. And instead of going ahead and talking about things that are so abstract and so out there that people can't grasp them, I think it's really important to back up and talk about like as a species or as uh, as, as you know civilization where we're heading to. And understanding the history that's behind this and the history forward, I think, really helps you define and start to put a, a finer pin on where we're going long term um, and what the future of the industries are going to look like and how that's going to look and things like that. I think that's that's been the gift. And again, I see I can even see technology in my head sometimes where people are like, wow, that was a really hard problem. You just kind of figured it out right away. And so, again, I feel very fortunate to have that. But I think a lot of it has been built in the experience that I've had from being in operations to sales to now in marketing and be able to tie those things together with really being, you know, an avid, avid fan and, and, you know, uh, disciple, if you will, evangelist, if you will, of the online space and the digital marketing space. You mentioned you look at history, you look at civilization. I, I saw it was a PowerPoint that you'd put together for the, I think it was like Washington wine association. And, and I, it, broke down really nicely how marketing has changed from the early 1900s to, to, to now. So is that what you're referencing as in looking at history and kind of look at the common sense of the progression of where things were, are, and could be? Yeah, I think that, especially when it comes to the social realm, I think that it's really interesting to look at us pre-industrial revolution, the size of villages we were staying in, and the fact that those villages were like 50 to 300 people, and that in order to be a valid merchant in those areas, you had to be relevant in your community. <laughs> you also had an awesome product and good customer service and a fair price. And at that point in time, we had these generational businesses that got passed down. And as a species on the planet, we exist in that construct more than we've existed in any other construct in our species history. Yes, there were some big cities during different times and periods, but a majority of just like small businesses, you know, 80 something percent of the US economy, this is the exact same way that we existed, right? And so then all of a sudden you started amassing these large cities because of the Industrial Revolution. And all of a sudden those relationships broke down. There was this fracturization of the merchant and the consumer relationship that was, you know, forever kind of kind of destroyed. And so all of a sudden now, even as as individuals, we started going ahead and, and building segregation in our communities based upon nationality or religion or skin color and those types of things, right? And so all of a sudden now 
you, you, you get into, you know, the village crier and the newspaper and the radio and the television, you get into like the late seventies and Stanford did this big study saying that we could only meaningfully touch between nine and 10 people in a day. And you think that before that we were touching 50 to 300. Wow. I don't think social media took off because everybody thought Friendster or FriendFeed or MySpace was so cool or that kind of stuff. We literally had a need as a species to get out and start to communicate with more people real time. And that's what social media is allowing us to do. You know, the average Facebook user only has 220 friends and has 80 brands or businesses that they're connected to. And that's the size of that small village pre to that, right? So our little reptilian brains that we talked about earlier are really not that, you know, that far advanced compared to where we were. And so understanding that that, that meant that to be one of those 80 and what that would mean for consumers and brands going forward, that's a really powerful place to sit. And so I think that when we think about, I had so many older uh, people in the business world that were really confused by social when it first started. And as we talked about earlier, I like to break things down to really simple analogies. And so that village story was something that I've been using since 2009. It's been probably one of my biggest shticks. If you will. <laughs> um, but it's, I've had people come up to me afterwards and hug me or thank me or say, man, I finally get it. Um, now I understand why this is important. And so, again, I think the, the hoogie boogie that Barker has tried to do overran the very simple, innate, natural impact mm-hmm. of what social mm-hmm. was going to be and where we were going to head with it. Um, and so I think that that's something that I, I love looking at in history. But now that we get into privacy and where we're at with that, now you're starting to look at McCarthyism and you're starting to go back in history and look at privacy issues right and where they're at. Um, you know, even the civil rights movement we're in the middle of right now and looking at what those patterns are from the past or the Spanish flu to COVID-19 and where we sit. There's so many things we can learn from from the past. And so many of us grew up in a very rote learning history class of date, time, where, who, you know, that. who cares about that? Tell me sequentially, can you go ahead and take the Great Awakening and you can put six events in actual chronological order or can you not? If you can't, that's the problem because all those things build upon one another to get to the end of the Great Awakening. What was so impactful about that period of time? This connects nicely to to the why, the Simon Sinek that you mentioned earlier. That that by understanding the why and really thinking about it and ingesting it to that point, then it's it's not about collecting and memorizing the facts. It's about actually seeing the the, the bigger ten thousand feet up. Yeah, and, and remembering that the people are really simple. Like we are as complex as we try to make our society and everything else. We are pretty simple as a species at our, our base, our baseline, right? People, they people want food, they want shelter, but ultimately they want a sense of belonging. And, you know, these two things are things, the first two are things that we can talk a lot about at the end of the day that are, are important to talk about. And we got to figure out how to do it. But that sense of belonging is such a powerful aspect and brands, people, organizations, that reach across that line and think about that why you can belong and how you can belong. They're, they're the powerful movements that are changing the landscape or changing the world around us in a radical way. And I think that that's such an important thing to keep in mind because in our world today, it's so easy to get into the billions and trillions and gigabytes and quadrabytes and all these petabytes and all these weird things, right? But Backing out of that thought process and going, okay, that's awesome, that's interesting, but that's not 98% of the world. How are we going to get to those people and how do you simplify it for them and help bring impact in a, in a much uh, much easier, more understandable way is really important to me. So you mentioned that you know, people essentially can, can be bullet and be pr- 
pretty, pretty simple in their behaviors or their motivations and, you know, that they, that they want a sense of belonging. So, so, so what is your marketing thesis? Um, I think that forever, there's always been a relationship between the, the merchant and the customer that was, should have been more intimate. And I think that as we have gone through this process um, of, of spray and pray and like millions of people now amassing in cities, everyone forgot that, you know, I, I have a lot of people that come to me and go, man, you must love Mad Men. And I'm like, I actually kind of despise that whole TV show because people think that that's what marketing is all about. It's just some whiz bang thing. Right. And that's the marketing is so can be so much more pure and intentional than that. At the end of the day, um, I'll never forget. My mom is remarried and her husband one time said to me, she goes, so you trick or deceive people into buying things. And I was like, Hmm, those aren't two words I would use, Bob, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> But I think that a lot of people think about that as marketing because we've got a bad name for not being transparent, not being authentic, not talking about company values, not not listening to people. I mean, how many brands right now are doing social media but have no CM strategy whatsoever, never respond back to anybody that's online, right? Like the magic oh, yeah. of social is not the message. The magic of social is in the comment thread. It's it's in the resharing of content. It's when your consumers get so rabid about who you are and what you do because it aligns with who they are that they begin to tell your brand story as well or better than you can. And so the thesis I tell a lot of people is like, man, social media is like setting up a stage and getting the microphone set up and turning on the lights. And they'd be like, hey, Jacob, come tell your brand story. And when those people start telling your brand story as well or better than you can, you know you actually created a really dynamic brand. You know, Taco Time Northwest was one of our very first clients. And I tell people all the time, I dare you to go on the Facebook page and call them tater tots. You will have probably 10 to 15 people that will be like, no, you're an idiot. It's not a tater tot. The Mexi Fry has a different density and a different season. <laughs> and that's what makes it a Mexi Fry versus a tater tot. And people are yeah. like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's the brand passion and loyalty that people have for that product because we've been talking about the values that that family brings to the, to the every day and the way that they run those restaurants. And the way that they deal with their employees, what they've done and to invest back in the community. And people are rabid about that now. And so their 150,000 fan base is one of my favorite fan bases to watch because they care immensely about the product and what it is and where it's going and getting other people on board about it. And that, I think, is part of their success over the last 10 years is really that that kind of word of mouth piece that's on the back. So I know that's a really long winded answer to your what's your thesis, but I I think the consumers are, are dying. I guess my to boil it down to one thing, we as consumers living in a homogenized world are dying to tell unique stories. It sucks to go to the Christmas party and everybody's telling the same damn story, right? And so if you as a brand can start teeing up your story or as a nonprofit organization, whoever you are, start teeing your story up in a unique way that's powerful, that's unique, that's about why, and that is honest and transparent so that when it gets fact-checked, it actually comes back to being true, you have something really special that people are going to want to talk about. And if, if we can load the lips of our consumers with unique brand stories, we can do really incredible things on behalf of those organizations and those, and, and those brands. I love that answer. I, I, the longer the better. That's, that was great. Uh, so you mentioned marketing is not a whiz bang thing. Maybe that's how, you, how your mom described it. And earlier you said there's a scientific approach to social media. Maybe walk us through that because I think, the snap judgment of most people when they think about social media marketing is exactly what you said earlier. A 22-year-old 
maybe they're they say let me do your social media for you and they just you know maybe do a post once a day for 30 days and then they go all right job done you know and maybe nothing comes of it and i think a lot of companies think that's what's going to happen if they invest in social media marketing so maybe walk us through what is the science of social media marketing what's the flywheel yeah the beautiful part is the flywheel is not any different than it's been in marketing for probably 70 80 years now it's still the conversion funnel right Mm-hmm. However, the beautiful part is now that we know if we know our brand and we know the values and what we what we stand for, all of a sudden now we can look at our million person audience. And this, Jacob, this is the key of what got me into the space. I've been doing a lot of mass marketing. I was working for Intercom Communications, for God's sakes, as a broadcast radio company, right? And it was spray and pray every day. That's what we did. You know, KSW is one of our channels and KSW is talking about, you know, the fact that we're the hard hat, steel toe wearing, you know, rock station of Seattle. And I'd go into, you know, really high-end lofts, and they're listening to KSW. And I thought, boy, those guys, when it gets to radio break, don't have anything to listen to because it's about whistle-stop work, weather, DUIs, and all these other things, right? And so... Not targeted at all. You know, not targeted at all, and just kind of one message for the masses. And so if we could get, like, the theory in 2008 that I kind of came to is we can start taking a million-person audience and start breaking into chunks of, like, ten to 20,000 people of consumers that all are kind of united around a topic and start to go ahead and we can now target them through social media. We'd be proactive and reaching across the digital divide and shaking their hand and inviting them into the party. That's the awareness funnel, right? And all of a sudden now you start to deal with the consumer at the awareness side and start to talk about what you're doing. And when they're interacting with you, they come in leery, right? They're like, oh man, I don't know about this brand I'm being marketed to. But as they come in and realize it's authentic and they're getting responded to and there's fun in there, all of a sudden that awareness is like, man, this is pretty interesting all of a sudden. And that interest grows, right? That interest starts to grow. And then all of a sudden they come to a desire point. And all of a sudden now, instead of going to the Google search bar and typing in new car, they're going in and saying, I want this car from this dealership. What do you have? And all of a sudden now you cut off everybody on the PPC side, the SEM side, right? Yes, it's still important to have the SEO so you show up when that search happens. <laughs> but ultimately, all of a sudden, that desire happens. And now that top-of-mind awareness, because if you think impressions create top-of-mind awareness, imagine what engagement does. Like, that's a meteoric step beyond just a passive impression. And so all of a sudden, now they're in the desire, and they're going directly to you. So they're not putting you into a cattle call with the rest of your, your customers or your competitors. They're, they're putting you in, and they're, they're, they're intentionally seeking you out. Now, that then goes back to what we talked about in the, the village air, right? You still have to have good customer service. You have to have a great product. You still have to have fair pricing. You still have to make it accessible. You know, people can love Carter Subaru and Carter VW all day long, but somebody from Vermont, Vermont's not going to drive out here just because it's Carter Subaru, right? So yeah, right. Those, those kind of merchant pieces still, still uh, are important in that piece. But then all of a sudden, they get to that desire point. As long as you have those things, they take that action. And as long as every bit of their experience as they go through that buying process mirrors and matches the awareness, interest, and desire phase that they just went through, that's only going to build further trust with them. And then if you then you can check back in with them, then that's the beautiful part about social and the new web, right, is that now we have reviews and we can understand what people are saying. And as long as you're monitoring those things and responding to those people and making sure they're being heard, Man, even we've had customers that have had bad experiences that have come around and and come back to us because they had an amazing customer service experience once they started complaining. And so all of a sudden you take that and all of a sudden that customer goes back to the top of the funnel and they bring three to five to ten you know friends with them. 
And all of a sudden now, if it's a, you know, a renewable product, boy, you can start to really start to drive that, that, that process. But at PB, we really look at Podibatic, we really look at each of those steps as individual steps. And we're building content and retargeting people based around each part of that funnel and making sure that, hey, yes, we're still doing awareness. We're not going to just put, you know, go ahead and pick all the low-hanging fruit. We need to go ahead and make sure the fruit's starting to grow at the top of the tree and then the middle of the tree and then ultimately at the bottom, right? But I also believe that then in that process that that all that chatter, all that feedback you're getting is actually can be turned into business intelligence that makes you a better company. They can go ahead and make sure your stores are clean or your product's hitting the mark. It can help with HR because also now young people are coming out of school and go, I want to go work for that brand because of what they stand for. Um, it can go through and help you in the sales side, right? It, there's so much it can allow you to begin to do when you start to think about it from that standpoint. And instead of just one message to meet them all, starting to break your messaging down into the different steps inside the funnel and ultimately begin to go ahead and retarget people as they're engaging at each step of that, that funnel process. When you say, so when you talk about the targeting, a word you used earlier was narrow casting. Is that what you mean by narrow casting? Well, it's the, it's the, in the awareness messaging. It's the message of, Hey, taco time has five values. We know that maybe composting is not going to get 80% of the world out of bed. But there's another 80% of the world or 20% of the world of, boy, howdy, that is a big damn thing to them. And so we don't need to go out and tell the 80% that doesn't care is not going to motivate them. <laughs> and we put that in with the 20% and show them what we're doing and talk about the stats and they see the results that we're doing and all of those kind of things are happening. Then at the end of the day, they're going to go and start talking to their friends. And maybe it wasn't important to their friend, but now it becomes important because now you're telling me about it instead of some, some ad telling you about it, Right. And so that's where that narrow casting comes in is taking your messaging and thinking about in the awareness funnel, what do people actually care about? You know, like if you have somebody that says, I hate tacos, are you really going to go ahead and start trying to go ahead and convert them? They're never going to convert. Why waste time and energy and money on reaching that person? Narrow that thing down and reach the people that are already predisposed to your message or your product and start to bring them along on that customer journey. And that's really the narrow casting or sliver casting I'm talking about. So having a, a deep understanding of who your customer is, the the, the different. I mean, maybe there's more. There's more than one customer, and it's it, maybe your customer is not who you think it is. And maybe you start looking into the data and you go, "Oh man, it's not it's not suburban soccer moms. It's uh, you know midnight gamers are actually our target audience." And then maybe it's a little bit of soccer moms on the side. Really understanding the audience is is sounds really foundational to to effective and successful social media marketing. Yeah, and think it through in a common sense manner. One of my favorite yeah. clients was a well, one of my favorite stories about this is that there was a client we had that was a sleep study client that was going after insomniacs, right? Well, we're not insomniacs, so we worked from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. and did things. And we wake up to this big message box of people that were up all night. And we finally found some poor soul who wanted to go ahead and wanted to work overnight for us. Hmm. And so they began to interact, and because they were live and they were on and responding through Facebook yeah. and Twitter to people that were having insomnia, be able to drive additional leads and, and get people in there, right? And so thinking common sense through who your client is and who you're trying to reach is so vital and important. And I think to your point, Jacob, the beautiful part is once you go ahead and start getting the low-hanging fruit of people that are already going to be interested in you, you will naturally begin to find other audiences and other people that will be, start to go ahead and layer in. 
but that's kind of where I think about start small. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Really work around, you know, your five or six values and think about how you're going to go ahead and amplify those. And then as you start to get customers in, those customers are good with those those five or six values. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to be able to find lookalikes and other people on the fringes that you can begin to bring through. Hey, sexy ladies and gentlemen. That was part one to our two-part conversation with our guest. Arguably, the second half is actually better than the first, so I suggest you go and listen to that. Also, before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To give you a little background to why those two, it's because both have a material effect in growing the ranking of the show in podcast categories through the iTunes podcast ranking system, similar to how Google search ranks and organizes top sites for a specific search. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. Scroll to the bottom of the show and hit add review. 10 words, 10 seconds, very easy. You'll be entered into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money, y'all. You got to love that. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be freaking amazing. Thank you. Take care and good night.